Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Astros Baseball brought to you by RamShirts.com, the company that brought you Crush City Tees. You can follow them on Twitter and Instagram. Visit RamShirts.com for all your custom Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan for the fans of the Houston Astros. Here's your host, Rob Fontenot. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of Astros Baseball. Joining me tonight, my special guest, Astros historian, Mike Acosta. Mike, thanks for coming on today. Thank you, Rob. I really appreciate being here. Thank you so much. So what's what's funny about you coming on is the next guy. I, I've, I had lined up people to come on on Sunday afternoons or evenings, whatever it was. And the guy I had lined up after you was Gerald Sanchez. <laughs> Yeah, I've been friends it, with Gerald and, for many years. Yeah, and it amazed me, like, just not too long ago, you guys were in the booth together yeah. calling the Skeeters game. Have you ever been in the booth before? Yeah, Gerald and I have, have done a lot of uh, broadcasting together. We, uh, I started doing play-by-play and, and some color when we switch off uh, back around 2000, 2001. We were uh, we were doing some high school sports, and then we evolved into college. And uh, he he then uh, did U of H and some Rice. I did I also did U of H and Rice as well. And we did a lot of games together. We we actually one of the things that you need to ask him about when you have him on next is uh, we actually covered and broadcasted the last baseball game that was played in the Astrodome. And it was it was a lot of fun. He can tell you all about it, but it's something that he brought up on the broadcast again uh, yeah. the other day when we were it was the Skeeters and the, and the Round Rock Express over at Constellation Field. And, uh, you know, when he and I get together, you know, we we just have such a great conversation. It's like sitting on the front porch talking about baseball and, you know, we've hung out before we've gone to eat, you know, like we've met, you know, earlier this year. Uh, you know, he was doing a, a ball game in Tomball and, and he had a, he was finished, I think about nine o'clock or so, you know, he was doing a high school game over there. And uh, this is before, before the season began, I think it was, or maybe it was right after. And anyway, he, uh, we met together. We, we, you know, we got some dinner, it's a late dinner and such. And man, we just, we sat around from like 9.30 until when they closed, which, you know, the restaurant had a bar in it, so they weren't mm-hmm. closing until 2 o'clock. We were there talking for like four and a half hours, mainly about baseball. And oh, yeah. you know, that that's just the, uh, the nature of our friendship. We're both really passionate about baseball and, and the Astros. We both grew up with the Astros, and that's our team. And, and we also picked up a lot of things 
uh, with other teams as well. And, you know, he, he can, it's just great. We can hold a, a nice conversation. So it's always a lot of fun when we get together. Yeah. I heard, I heard a podcast you were on, you were actually on Sunday Strohs, which I did with, uh, Steve, the one from England. That's right. Yeah. You, you're right, the, yeah. our very first guest on that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't, yeah. I, I don't recall that I was the first one, but yeah, I, I do <laughs> yeah. remember that. I, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So you were talking about, you know, you kind of grew up going to games and then you end up working there. Uh, what, I mean, you just have this love for baseball. Is that how you just stuck around and how, did you become the Astros historian? That's a good question. Well, okay. Um, so it took, it took decades to, to evolve to that. Um, it's not something that really, you know, in baseball, the path, to whatever whatever career path you're going to take, it's not the same for everybody. It's not like you know a player comes up through the system, plays at A ball, double A, triple A into the majors, and that sort of thing. It's you have these different paths for people who work in baseball in the front offices, and sometimes that that does involve working for a minor league club. Uh, there's plenty of people who have worked you know elsewhere, and then all of a sudden they've got a lot of experience, and then they come up to the major league club and whether it was the the lower level club affiliate affiliated with you know wherever the major league club is they're working with now or whatever uh th there's no correlation to anything it's just you're just trying to get experience and in my situation um as a kid so it, it all it, it does start when i was a kid and i gotta give all the credit to my dad because he took me to the games and we went to a lot of astros games and we would sit any just anywhere and everywhere in the Astrodome. We would sit in the field boxes, the mezzanine, sometimes the upper deck, uh, a couple of times in the old loge level back when it was purple seats. And I remember that felt pretty cool. It was just a real special uh, thing to go to the Astro games because of the Astrodome itself. And, you know, we're walking through the parking lot and it's really hot outside and we go inside and you feel the rush of the cool air as you open up the doors. And you mm -hmm. walk in, you know, it has these concourses with these lamps over overhead and you see these rainbow colors kind of all the place. And, you know, you look out onto the field, this bright green AstroTurf field. Uh, and then the players are wearing these orange, you know, kind of rainbow uniforms and orange hats. And then, you know, we come out to another area and you see this massive scoreboard that's just huge and it's just full of these light bulbs and it erupts when when uh, Astros hit a home run and it just, it really just sucked me in. It just, I was just really drawn into that atmosphere, that environment. And I wanted to know all about it. It, it sparked a lot of curiosity. And so when I was little, uh, you know, I, I really, I really, and, and still today, my favorite player became Nolan Ryan. And I loved listening to everything that he said. Uh, I pitched when I was young, so it was really important, you know, to me in, in the things and advice that he was giving to kids and, and and this and that. But Jose Cruz, Glenn Davis, Billy Doran, Phil Garner, uh, Billy Hatcher, uh, Danny Walling, you know, Mike Scott, Dave Smith, all those guys, Kevin Bass, uh, it was just a something that really attached itself to me and. I got to know what the players did. You know, you can 
you know, I always say you can look up in a media guide what they do. You can look in the program. You can see the the one loss records. And of course, you know, back when I'm a kid, there's no internet, so you have to look in books or you have to look in the newspaper. And and that's what I what I did. But my curiosity was was really uh, struck because when I was at home during the summertime. And, you know, you go outside and play, but, you know, you come in and spend a lot of time in baseballs on TV and the Chicago Cubs are on WGN. And this is back before, you know, this is like the mid 80s. So it's a few years before they put lights at Wrigley Field. So all mm-hmm. the games are starting like at one o'clock, one thirty. And I started watching those games with Harry Carey. And, you know, <laughs> it was always fun watching him because I knew something was off with him. And, I, you know, later I found out, well, you know, maybe he was having a few back in the booth. But <laughs> at the time, <laughs> when, I'm kid, when I'm a kid, I don't know that. But, uh, but, you know, you watch that and it's outdoors and there's sunshine and there's this rich green grass and it's, uh, you know, ivy on the walls on the outside. It looks so much different. The ballpark looks older, that, you know, it doesn't have a roof. And then later on in the afternoon, on average, you would have uh, the Braves come on sometimes, you know, about four o'clock, I think, or three thirty, somewhere around that time. Yeah. And so I would start watching that. And that was also different, too, because they were playing outdoors. They weren't playing in an old stadium like like the Cubs, but it was different than what, you know, the experience was in Houston. So I really just uh, wanted to know, OK, well, why did we build the Astrodome? You know, why do we have uh, rainbow uniforms? You know, how come the Cubs are wearing, you know, these blue pinstripe uniforms? Or these, you know, they have they have red, white, and blue, and and the the Braves also have this red, white, and blue kind of scheme. But you know, we're wearing orange and yellow and red and orange hats, and and we have this extravagant scoreboard and this massive dome stadium that we're playing in. And it's just, I wanted to know more. And I wanted to know more than just what the team was doing on the field and, you know, who we had won and, you know, who was hitting home runs and getting strikeouts. So I would go to the library and uh, the Houston Public Library downtown, and I would look at the microfilm. My mom would take me to work sometimes during the summer, and she worked in one of the buildings downtown, and we would hop over. She, she'd take like a half day off, and we'd, we'd go over to the public library and I would research, I would ask them, hey, do you have any books or any, is there any information on the Astros or baseball or the Astrodome? And they, they directed me to uh, the microfilm where you could see, I could look up news stories by the date. And mm-hmm. uh, that was really important. And they would bring out like a reel or I, I can't remember, it's like a box or something like these slides and, you know, it would project them in the screen you would look at. But what really led me to that was... They told me there was a book on Roy Hoffines, and I had never heard of Roy Hoffines before as a kid, but they said it was a biography. There's a guy who built the Astrodome. So I checked out that book, and in that biography, which is, you know, for a kid that's like nine or ten years old, that's pretty heavy reading, I skimmed through it, and I looked in the glossary, and I looked up every, every page that had stories about the Astros, and I found these dates. And so, you know, there was like April 9th, 1965, you know, or uh, when the Dome opened or October 17th, 1960, when, uh, you know, the the National League expanded to Houston. And so I found those dates and those became the dates that I would ask for the microfilm. And and then I would do Mm -hmm. some literally I would I would make copies. They would uh, make some black and white copies for me of these news stories and 
Um, and I would take that information and retain it. And I, I just, just formulating, and I used to have these, um, it was, it was really weird. Um, I, I guess it's not too weird, but I used to do these fake radio shows when I was a kid. And sometimes uh, I would interject some of these stories into it. And it, whether it was like, I was like, if my brother and his friends were playing ball in the backyard, I was at the window uh, overlooking the backyard, calling the game. And then I was also telling stories about the history of the Astros. Hmm. And, and uh, that just kind of stuck with me. And so as I got further along, I, I just, uh, I, I would try to interject Houston Astro history or baseball history into a lot of projects that I was doing in, in school because I saw, well, this is the perfect opportunity for me to evolve this knowledge. And, and it sounds maybe a little far-fetched for a kid, but that's really the way it was because I was really, really entrenched in knowing more information. I was very, very um, in awe of the Astrodome and the whole environment that it provided for the Astros and, and then the fans themselves and the experience in there. So I wanted to learn all about that. So I, I did book reports and, you know, just all sorts of things in school, uh, through college. And then when, when I was, uh, when it came time, uh, you know, it was pretty simple. I remember having a conversation with my mom and I said, well, it's time that I, I need to uh, start getting, into the field where I want to go. And, and it's with baseball, it's with the Astros. But mm. I didn't know, I did not know really exactly where I was going to fit. Now, the original idea was I was going after a radio job because I really liked broadcasting and I had gone to school in communications and, and, you know, learned about broadcasting. And of course the internet was coming about and we, we studied that and where it was going to go in the future. And, um, so, so I, I went to the dome one day and I put together a resume, dropped it off. Uh, and then the very next morning, I got a call from Mike Cannon, Mike the Loose Cannon. If, if some people might remember him, he was the radio engineer for many, many years from like uh, 1995 to 2012 when he retired. And he was the, the guy who was, uh, he voiced a lot of commercials for Astros Radio. He, he produced uh, all, it, pretty much anything you heard on Astros Radio, he produced or voiced it. And he was in the booth with Milo Hamilton and Alan Ashby and Bill Brown. And uh, he called me that morning, the very next day. And I was shocked that I got a call, like literally less than 24 hours after I had gone to the Dome and dropped off this resume. And he told me uh, that there could have, there, there was possibly a, a position available. Uh, he didn't know for sure, but uh, you know, there, there was a position like an internship, and he had to look into it. He wanted to see what what I was into because I kind of placed, uh, I, I think on the resume, I had mentioned something in broadcasting or baseball operations. And mm -hmm. so he said that there was probably this internship in, in broadcasting. And that he would he would get back to me, and then I could come in. So the next call was uh, about two weeks later, and I and it was Jamie Hildreth uh, who was the director of broadcasting. And when when Jamie called me, and I, I got the phone call, and, and you know he he said if if you ever knew who Jamie was, Jamie was an incredible person. He he passed away four years ago of a heart attack when he was out at spring training, but he was a he was a great person, a mentor to a lot of people. He was with the Astros for 30 years, and he had a huge impact on the on the, the team and, and behind the scenes. 
just just a great great person. Uh, he called me and he said, "Mike, this is Jamie Hildreth with the Houston Astros." And I went, "Oh my gosh!" You know, because I knew <laughs> who Jamie. You know, I knew who Jamie was, and and uh, he said, "Well, you know, come on in for an interview." And next thing I know, we're we're back at the Astrodome and we're in the recording studio up on the press level. And we're talking about things. And I remember at one point, you know, he's asking me these questions and it was him. It was uh, Rita Schuma, who was, uh, in, who was in his department, who oversaw the radio broadcast traffic, which is the, uh, the commercials and the sponsors and, and making sure that those things play correctly. And she, she also did a bunch of other things, but that was kind of why she was in there because I was going to be handling some of that stuff. And then Mike Cannon was also in the, the studio as well. And ironically, my wife came with me. Uh, she was actually, it was right before we got married. So it was my, my fiance at the time. And they had her sitting there with me. And at one point towards the end of the interview, Jamie kind of leaned back and, uh, you know, he had his, he had his hand on his chin and you know, he kind of looked at me, he kind of smiled. And he said, you know, he goes, you're going to do just fine here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so next thing I know, uh, I'm working in the Astros radio booth. I got the, the job and, uh, you know, I'm there sitting there next to Mike Cannon on the second row, right behind Milo and, and Alan Ashby and helping to produce the radio broadcast and, and working in the office during the daytime. And it was just an incredible experience. And that was really the, the way in that I that I got into the Astros organization. Uh, and they they found out early on, they saw through just my conversation and everything else that I knew a lot about Astros history and I had given a lot of detail. So they, they knew that I knew my stuff and they started to ask me to get involved with certain projects. And at the, the very beginning, it was mainly like stadium giveaways. And so this was 1999 and this was the last year that the Astros were in the Astrodome. And so we had a lot of giveaways that dealt with the history of the Astrodome. And so it was like perfect timing. And, and yeah. so I, I helped with, you know, making sure that uh, information was accurate. I wrote some verbiage, you know, for, you know, the, one of the, the, the giveaways. And I was looking at baseball cards and making sure that the stats were correct. And it just evolved. And then I was hosting uh, player uh, clinics on the field. They, they used to, I think on Sunday or Saturday afternoons, they used to have uh, crowds of people come down into different areas of the outfield and they would rotate Astro players. And, and I would kind of host those and kind of moderate some questions between the fans and the player. Uh, it was just really great. And I got to meet a lot of great people. Uh, you know, number one that year was Ben Scully. And, and he, he was just incredible. He was somebody who I had always wanted to meet, and we got to sort of know each other. I, I introduced myself to him, and you know, m part of my job was to lend assistance to the, the visiting radio booth if they needed something, if they if they had a question about something. Uh, but of course, the the dome was had been there for three and a half decades of baseball, so a lot of the the people who were working those visiting team booths they they knew their way around. But if they needed something. Usually the, the Astros intern, the broadcast intern would help out with that. And so I got to meet uh, Ben Scully and kind of get to know him. So the last day, it was October 3rd of 99, it was the, the last regular season game. It was a Sunday afternoon. And it was coming right down to the wire. 
where the Astros could clinch uh, the the Central Division. It would have been the third one in a row that they clinch and go back to the playoffs again and and kind of end this uh, run in the Astrodome. There was a lot of excitement. We had opening ceremonies, you know, dealing with the history of the Astrodome, closing ceremonies that lasted for a very long time with the all-time Astrodome team and such. So I got to that to the dome that day really early. And I wanted to kind of take in the day. So I went to the booth, put my bag down, and I decided, okay, the, the media dining is open. I'm going to go go over there and get some bacon and eggs really quick. So I go in there. Sure enough, there's not very many people in there. Uh, you know, the workers, they have ESPN on the TV. I sit down, get something to eat real quick. A few minutes later, I mean, like not even five minutes, Ben Scully walks in and he sees me. You know, this room is is completely open. I mean, there's, it's not crowded at all because I was one of the first ones to arrive. And he sees me and he comes over and he goes, hey, he goes, hey, do you mind if I sit with you? <laughs> and so he sat down and we had breakfast together. And it was just incredible because it, this was the, the last regular season game in the Dome. And of course, he had been coming to the Dome since it opened. And we we just had this amazing conversation. You know, he was he was just talking about how the dome was a, a palace, a sports palace, and how wonderful it was when it first opened, and and how he always felt that it was a, a great stadium for Houston. And and uh, you know, he just he was very gracious, and it's just really nice. And it wasn't like uh, a broadcast legend that was sitting there. It was like a guy, you know, an older gentleman who who had lived through baseball and. We were just having a baseball conversation. And that taught me a lot because as I moved along, you know, and then we went into Minute Maid Park or, you know, Enron Field and became Minute Maid Park. I always thought of that. And, and that impression was, was left on me that, you know, here's a guy who knows everything. You know, he knows the, the history of the Dodgers. He knows the history of Dodger Stadium. He was there when they were the Brooklyn Dodgers. He worked with Red Barber. I mean, he, he just has this universe of, of knowledge and experience. And, he was a regular guy to me. And so I always kept that in mind when, you know, more interns came along after me and I was now working full time and they needed help. And I would try to lend them any type of help that I could. And with the historian thing, you know, I first came in, I had to move into operations in order to come on full time, like to, to establish my MLB pension and insurance and all that stuff. I had to, that, that was the open position. So I had to move into that. That's part of the, where you don't really know what route you're going to take. Right. So, yeah. uh, so that's, that's where we were. We were overseeing the operation of the ballpark, the ushers, the uh, first aid, uh, security to a certain extent. Uh, we were in communication with everybody and, and just seeing Minute Maid Park run as like a small city every night, because, you know, you, you could have 40,000 people, even if you have 20,000 people, it's like a small town in this little nine block area. And a lot of stuff happens during the game that, you know, people are human and, you know, they do human things and not all those things are good. And so I got to see that side of uh, stadium operations and it was very educational. So hmm. I got to know the logistics of how that works and how the ballpark operates and how you should run it and uh, saw things firsthand that were, you know, not necessarily the best things. You know, I saw kids that were crying because their dad was was being arrested because he was drunk and he had started punching walls. And it was it was very, 
you know, it, it was, it was, it was a job that I think some people would have just said, you know what, I don't need to be here. And, uh, but I saw it as educational and, and, you know, a side of the operation that a lot of people don't get to see. And then that evolved into, uh, they, they shifted some people around. They, they actually downsized a little bit and they asked me to move into the ticket office and, and become an account executive. Uh, and they wanted me talking to people on the phone and selling season tickets and group sales and suites and all that stuff. And, and because I knew a lot about the Astros. And so they said, Hey, you know what, just pretend you're doing a radio show with, uh, whoever it is you're talking to on the phone and just kind of carry that conversation. You know, people love talking about the Astros. And so I said, okay. And I became part of the speakers bureau. I'd go out and give speeches to lions clubs and, uh, you know, rotaries and, and those types of organizations all around the Houston area. You know, it, it, that was a, a lot of fun talking about the Astros and then bringing somebody else along to kind of sell season tickets or whatever it was. And at the same time, I was still working on all this history stuff. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, by the time the 04 All-Star game came around, it felt like I was doing two jobs because I was the main contact for MLB for the, uh, the, the, the show that we were putting on over at the convention center. And it was showcasing the history of the Astros franchise. And so I was the one kind of uh, really organizing that with the artifacts and the, the verbiage and, and major league baseball was a big help, but uh, that really put the historian part pretty neck and neck with whatever position I was doing already. And then from then on, it just became, it felt like I was doing two jobs at one time. And that, that occurred for about the next five years that way. And through that next five-year period, you know, I was in those meetings where we were talking about, well, what do we do? What does it look like when Craig Biggio gets his 3,000 hit? Or what does it look like when we retire uh, Jeff Bagwell's number? Or, you know, this other milestone, what do we do? And so I'm always involved with this stuff. And um, it just, it just was at times, uh, you know, a little weird because I was also a point person for like, for instance, uh, in 2005, I was a point person for the 1980 team that came back. And so I was greeting all the, all these guys at the hotel and making sure they were coming in. I was getting them in the press box, bringing them down to the clubhouse, making sure they were going out to the field and just kind of, kind of being the liaison from the club and with these guys. And I did that many times. I did that with the 86 reunion. I did that with Hank Aaron. Uh, when, when he came into town for Milo Hamilton's uh, retirement gala and, you know, it, it just, um, <laughs> it was just, I literally felt like two different jobs because I would go from this meeting where we're planning something, you know, what it's going to be like when Craig Biggio gets his 3000 hit. And then I go back on the phone talking about a mini plan to somebody. And so <laughs> there was this, this uh, grand, <laughs> grand spectrum of things, you know, and not that, you know, that wasn't, one wasn't as important as the other, but, you know, it, it was, this, it was a, two sides of the spectrum, no doubt. And so by the time 2000, uh, the end of 2008, uh, Jay Lucas, who was a senior VP at the time, they had done some research and part of what I had been involved with since 2001 was working with the, the uh, major league authenticators. Now, in the early years, in 2001, they were accountants. And then they, right around 2006, Major League Baseball revamped the authentication program 
and they became police officers. And so they they were drafting off-duty police officers to to be authenticators at games. But the Astros really hadn't developed uh, a program in conjunction with with Major League Baseball, and uh, they wanted to do that now. And so I was asked to take the the authentication program, which my involvement was pretty limited. I mean, we didn't we really didn't do that much. I didn't have the say. You know, like, here, here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan. I didn't have to say. We were doing some things, like when Craig Biggio retired or he got a 3,000 hit or we were giving away jerseys at the end of the, the game or something. I was working with the authenticators there, making sure we got what we got. But uh, they wanted to take it to a next level. And so they said, hey, look, uh, create a revenue stream, create the authentication program as you see it, uh, call it what you want, and and also take on, just continue taking on all the history stuff. And we'll wrap it into one. And they were using the example. There was a guy with the Dodgers who who did something similar. And so I said, okay. So I did some research and looked at what some of the other teams were doing just to, to kind of see how that worked. And and I developed a, a program for the Astros. And it, it was, you know, we called the, the retail side of it. We called it Astros Authentics. And we were selling game used items to fans at the ball game. And uh, we over a uh, when from 2009 to 2020 we really really became an industry standard the way we operated i mean we we were very proactive very hands-on we had plans in place if there was a no hitter if there was a cycle if there was uh any a clinch moment uh, a walk-off home run in a playoff situation we were always ready like a first responder on scene. Mm-hmm. And and so we we had a, a great plan. We had Major League Baseball had us as one of the top three uh, programs in the way we operated throughout the whole league. And they would send other teams. To, we were one of the teams that they would send people to from other teams to learn more about how we should do it. And, and we were one of the standards and the examples that they would use uh, when, when talking to other clubs. So it, that was something I was really proud of. And uh, we just uh, we we evolved it to a, to a great thing. Uh, Astros had never had an authentication program or anything in place, archives program or anything like that. Uh, it was pretty much patchwork before then, and it kind of rested in different hands. But uh, I took it and made it something new, something bigger, and it and it just evolved. And then along the way. Uh, I want to say around 2015 or maybe so somewhere in there, maybe 14 at the end of 14, uh, we started talking about the Astros uh, Hall of Fame. And that came to fruition in 2019. But there was a lot of prep work into that. And I was mapping out locations in the ballpark, where to put a physical Hall of Fame, how the exhibits would work, what the story is um, and how it would evolve and how it would change. But the, you know, the plans for Minute Maid Park would evolve from year to year, sort of. And so, you know, they would say, okay, well, we're going to do this in this area of the ballpark. We're going to renovate this area of the ballpark. So that would affect where the Hall of Fame would go. Right. And so we wound up putting it in the home run alley area where it's at now. And that was kind of like the starting point. And the, the goal eventually is to still have some sort of a building where it could go inside and excuse me, and people could really experience the uh, the history firsthand, 
and walk into what I was calling an environment, not, not necessarily just an area where you have exhibits, but where you could hear the ballpark. You could have the sounds of the Astrodome in there. You could have sounds of Minute Maid Park. You could hear radio broadcasts in there. You could see artifacts, but it would be very interactive rooms where you have AstroTurf in there. And so uh, recreations of the Astrodome home run spectacular, you know, that type of thing. And so yeah. we never we never really got there. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that that can't happen down the line, but uh, we hadn't gotten there yet. So there you go. That's how it, <laughs> that's how it happened. There you go. Uh, and, I, and I apologize if that was too long, but but that's it, it, the the main my main point is that there's no set way yeah. uh, for anybody to get where they're going to be going in baseball if you're working in baseball. Let me ask you this: You, you said you dropped off a resume. Was there an opening, or you just went and dropped off a resume? No, I didn't know if there was an opening. I just <laughs> you just decided, said, here, here's uh, my resume. I want to work for you. Yeah, correct. I I decided I was going to put together a resume and drop it off and, and do, uh, you know, my due diligence. And, you know, went to the Astrodome. I told the guard. I said, hey, I'm going to go to the Astro office. Because when you came up to the dome back then, it was at the Westgate off of Kirby. And, you know, they had a, a guard there and, and you would either tell them, hey, I'm going on a tour or I'm going to the gift shop or I have a meeting at the office. And so I drove around to the other side of the dome and that's where the offices were on the top level of the Astrodome uh, over like in the outfield area. So I took the elevator up and literally just walked into the lobby and, you know, uh, Desta Kimmel was, uh, she, she, somebody I, I became friends with after I started working there. Uh, but she was in the reception lobby and she was the one I, I first spoke to and I just literally dropped it off. <laughs> so you said earlier, you know, you wanted to find out different things and, and you said why the Astros wore the orange and the rainbows. What, what was the answer to that? Well, the the answer is is actually split in two because the orange came about during the whole forty five years, and so okay. I had gotten I had gotten um, some different stories. It's not very definitive, but I kind of found as years go on, this is kind of the way things work in baseball. So one of the stories was uh, Paul Richards, who was the first, but technically the second general manager, because Gabe Paul was really the first general manager, but he. He was only there for six months and didn't didn't really last when they when they started playing ball. Um, Paul Richards had come over and he, they said he introduced the orange. Now, the other story is Roy Hoffines, and this is I know this is 100 percent true. Uh, his favorite color was orange. And so he liked the circus. He liked the brightness of orange. And he brought that that was his contribution and plus with the the contrast against the navy uh i was told that and this was by one of the members this was deanie hoffa and she had told me that the the inspiration was to have a texas sunset uh where you have the the low you know if you look at these really nice beautiful sunsets on the horizon yeah. you see this orange it kind of blends into this this navy or dark blue and so that's what she told me uh that was the influence for that. So, you know, there's a couple little stories there, but I, I tend to sort of believe both um, that they were both influences because I, I know for a fact that whenever these types of projects come up, 
it's generally not just one person that is making the the, the overall decision. It, it is kind of a, a, a collaborative effort, and then one person says, yes, that's what we're going to do. But uh, the rainbow jerseys came about mainly because the Astros needed to evolve. They, they were not playing well. They, they needed a new identity, uh, and they really wanted something that was going to look good on both color television and black and white. So if you were looking at the Astros playing and you saw the different shades of gray and so forth, you would know that that was the Astros. Yeah. So that's, that's where that came from. And it was, it was actually a, a kind of a progression. The rainbow stripes were kind of a progression of a shooting star. So, you know, the, the original uh, uniform of the Astros had the, the tails coming off of the star. It was a full star. Uh, and then it had the orange tails, and then later it inverted in the early 70s. They, they inverted the orange and navy. Uh, but by the time they got to this rainbow uniform and the, the guys who were working on it, they, they felt that this was going to be something new. It was going to be progressive. It was still going to be in the spirit of the Astros to have these rainbow stripes. And they actually put uh, – it was construction paper that they cut to kind of make this pattern. And the original idea was – on the uniform, if you see where the, the, the Navy star is on the front left, that star was supposed to be centered right underneath where it says Astros. So it wasn't supposed to be off to the left. But then the team said, Let, now let's push it over to the left. Let's have it there. And then they, what they came up with was the idea that the rainbow stripes would be coming from behind the star. And so it would look like a different version of a shooting star. And hmm. so uh, the original rainbow uniform, the prototype, did not have it was really uh weird looking actually it's, it's, it's a good thing that they kind of tweaked it the the left side of the uniform was pure white and you had these rainbow stripes coming off of the right side of the star across the the abdomen and wrapping around to the back side and then ending at the seam on the left side and it was it was just it was kind of weird looking oh um, yeah that but, would be bad but yeah they they evolved it to just have the rainbow stripes go all the way around and then have this star. But the, and then that kind of gets lost because, you know, some people, some people started, you know, later on, many, many years later on, sort of saying tequila sunrise. And it was always somebody that wasn't from Houston because everybody that's ever been affiliated with Houston, even going back to those days have always called it the rainbow Jersey. So I, anytime I hear somebody call it tequila sunrise, you know, it's kind of like, you know, somebody from New York, you know, judging barbecue in Texas. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, it's <laughs> like, they, they, they really, yeah, they don't know the full story on it. So I guess people can call it that if they want, but, but it's always been the rainbow uniform and, and everybody that I know who was there at that time, they always referred to it as the rainbow uniform. All right, Mike, that's all I'm going to have for you today, but I have plenty of questions about the Astrodome and stuff like that. So maybe you can come back and we can dive into this Astrodome stuff. Yeah, we can. That's a, that's a real big project of mine. And, <laughs> and I'm working on it. And I'm looking at some models right now that, that uh, the pro prototypes for renovation and, uh, and all that. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, I'm, I'm curious the plans for the dome, what you would like to do with it. So we'll find all that out next time if, if you'll come back. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Thanks for Mike Acosta for coming on tonight. And we'll see you next time on Astros Baseball.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Be sure to subscribe to be alerted when there's a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Fontenot. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.